You're watching The Luke Bryan Show. So, Luke, I, uh, you have a reputation around town for a lot of things, but one of them is uh, for taking your shirt off all the time. <laughs> why don't you tell me where this came about and uh, uh, why you do it? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I, um, it's been uh, part of my story since as long as I can remember. Um, my, my childhood friends would always make fun of me because I took my shirt off everywhere I went, and uh, it grew into adulthood, and it was... Probably the worst marketing. You I didn't grow out of it. <laughs> exactly. I never grew out of it. And I, as if you're a young lawyer starting out thinking, okay, I'm going to go to every party and wear my shirt off at some point. Probably not the best idea, but somehow it's worked out for me. So <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but it... <laughs> Weren't you on a catalog in law school? <laughs> I was. I was I was on the front of a calendar in law school with my shirt off in the law library. <laughs> um, and when I left my first law firm, they, they uh, supersized it and they all signed it and it was up on a giant poster board it was it was quite funny um yeah any, any chance of that slowing down <laughs> well it keeps me motivated one of my real passions is to go to the gym and so um it definitely keeps me motivated and working hard and and that that hard work piece is uh is a we talk about it in terms of law but we talk about it in terms of both our passions and you you know baseball was a big thing for you and i played hockey but another big one for me was uh, weightlifting and I got really into my powerlifting in my late 20s and 30s. And uh, and one thing, I, I, I ended up with quite large numbers in terms of what I could lift and, and quite a bit for my size. Um, and and at really at world-class numbers. And the thing I learned uh, through that process is just the 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 way to get good at something is determination, persistence, and commitment. And commitment, that's one of our core values. And that's really, it's just you want to cut down a really large tree with a screwdriver, you just chip away at it every day and eventually that tree is going to fall down, but it's going to take a long, long time. Right. And then, so when you're starting out at something, that's often what it's like. It's like that analogy of, of just this enormous task. And it looks completely overwhelming. When I started weightlifting, I thought I, I'm never going to be able to deadlift 500 pounds or bench press 350 pounds. And, but you know, I started out, you know, deadlifting 300 pounds and then you add 10 pounds and every week and all of a sudden, you know, a few years later, you're, you're deadlifting 500 pounds or bench pressing 350 or squatting over 400 pounds. And the, the those are things that were like long-term goals that just took a long, long time to chip away and work at. How long did you power lift for? Because you don't power lift anymore. Do you? No, I've got too many injuries now, too many surgeries, but uh, but it, it was a solid 10 years of, of powerlifting. And, and the other the other part of powerlifting I really enjoyed was the uh, technical aspect of it. And there's, you know, some lifts that are very technical, um, the clean and jerk and and, and, and all these uh, weightlifting moves with odd names. Um, the uh, But yeah, there's a real technical aspect to, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the skill and, and there's a real technical aspect of learning that well and I had people that really helped me John Ford was a good buddy who was he I think he at some point was the captain of the national track team and threw hammer and discus and he was this giant guy and, and we would work out and he was you know 80 pounds heavier than me and we would lift the same weights and 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 it was just super intense workouts but I had so much fun doing that um there's a lot of discipline that goes into that as well yeah so much discipline and it's just that commitment and you know some days you're like man I hurt and I just don't want to go to the gym and I I'm not feeling it and and it's just pushing through that and and there's days like that at, at law too it's like you know yeah i mean you and i have been through long trials i think the longest trial i ever did was six weeks and 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 it's a grind and by the end you can be so exhausted and and it's exhilarating at points too and you go through these emotional ups and downs of going through the trial and, and it's also the the give and take of a trial i remember i remember this case i did um 
years and years ago, uh, we had, uh, it was a case where there was some surveillance video uh, of the individual in question. And, and the surveillance video was really bad for, for the other side, like really, really bad. We thought it was, it was our silver bullet. We were going to win the case. We played this. It was a jury trial. It was a month long jury trial and we we're going to play this video and it was going to be the end of the case. And, and so the other side argued that the surveillance video should not be admissible and, um, and, and they were successful. Um, and we were blown away. I remember that. And I was a junior lawyer working with a senior lawyer and, and there was a lawyer for another party there and, and she had argued the, the, that part of the application. And, and after we lost, she was just devastated and, and really completely ineffective in the trial after that because of that loss. And, and, and I remember, I'll never forget the senior lawyer I was working with. I was still quite upset about having lost that application. And we walked away after talking with the other lawyer and he was just, I'm like, are you upset? And he's like, no, this is just how trial work goes and we got to fight tomorrow and you got to get your energy up and be positive and focus on fighting and, and continue on. And this is how this battle works and you don't win every application. You don't win everything. You got to win the war and, and keep your eye on the ball and, and, and work through this adversity and don't let it get you down. And, and I really learned so much through that. And so like a skill like weightlifting, when you push through those real hard times when you don't feel it and you're like, man, this sucks and I don't feel good. And I, I don't want to do this today. It's those skill set. Those skills help so much when you go through that type of adversity. Yeah. So the discipline obviously helps there, but then, I mean, now I guess some of the adversity is that you're getting old, Luke, <laughs> how do you push through that? <laughs> Well, I have guys like you pushing me. <laughs> um, I have uh, I have a genetic gift of an enormous amount of energy, and uh, I think it comes from my mom, who is over seventy now and still works and exercises every day, and has horses, and is just go go go. And I, whatever for whatever reason, I lucked out on the genetic lottery for energy, and uh, so I just have a massive amount of energy. And, and yeah, I, was, most... I, was, I was hoping you'd slow down a bit with age, but it, uh, it hasn't really gone that way. If anything, I think you've ramped up. You're like the energy. When I was in law school, it's a silly story, but um, I, I thought all there was to being a good lawyer was uh, being able to uh, golf well, uh, drink scotch, and smoke cigars. And I thought if you could do those three things well, you were going to be a good lawyer. Um, well, that's what everyone in law school told me anyways. Uh, I learn now that they weren't telling me the truth. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, I definitely uh, tried to learn how to smoke cigars. Uh, throughout my life, We I, I've never smoked or did anything when we were playing. Uh, baseball growing up it was also a life of discipline and so uh, we got tested regularly uh, for drugs in the competitive level so you know you couldn't you couldn't have anything in your system and uh, you know uh, trying to compete at that level uh, smoking just wasn't really something that, that anyone could do and um, but occasionally you know we'd, we'd we'd win a championship or something uh, would happen and one of the guys would buy a cigar and and you know the team would like smoke the cigars like a victory and so you know maybe once a year or something like that you need to have a cigar and so had some of those kind of fond memories and then um, you know the the successes came more frequently and uh, and perhaps not as uh, substantial uh, uh, achievements uh, warranted a cigar and so you know you started to find reasons to have them and so, um, yeah, it became something that uh, I, I enjoy, um, certainly with having a scotch and, uh, you know, and, and enjoying those successes and trying to, trying to uh, you know, enjoy those moments with friends and, and certainly with you and uh, some of my other friends having cigars. But um, it's not something that my wife lets me do as much uh, as I used to do. So, um, you know, maybe a couple times a year she lets me, but uh, my bachelor party was a special exception, I think. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> now you have this history of being this quite elite world elite world class athlete, and and but but there's some things in athletics that you struggle with. So like riding a bike. <laughs> riding a bike. So why don't you tell us about, about your challenges with riding bikes. <laughs> so, man, a long time ago, you and I filmed a video, and it was uh, I hadn't ridden a bike since I was a kid. I, I used to think I was a good bike rider, but um, yeah, I remember there was this one moment, and I got on the bike, and I think they had to do a hundred takes because I just couldn't ride the bike to save my life. And I remember thinking like how terrible that saying was it's like riding a bike i'm like it's a stupid saying like it's not like riding a bike you can't get back to this it's ridiculous and so um yeah but you know we talk about discipline and determination and i took those hundred takes and by the end of it i wasn't as wobbly i think we managed to pass it off and uh managed to ride a bike i think it was the last time i've ever been on a bike yeah so, so, so as, as, as athletic as i am uh, riding a bike is not something that i'm good at and you know what you can't be good at everything luke there's got to be some things that you're just not as good as other people at and uh, that's definitely one of my uh, achilles heels we've had this uh this friendship that's grown and developed over time and one of the things that we share a lot of is you know some some wine and some scotch and so you have a real passion for scotch tell, tell us a bit about that yeah, where did that develop? Uh, it developed in Scotland, actually. Yeah. Um, so I had tried scotch historically. I remember I worked at a restaurant called Cardero's and they had uh, a Johnny Walker representative came and I must have been 19 or 20 at the time. I was like young bartending, trying to put myself through school at UBC. Um, and they came with all these amazing scotches. I didn't know anything about scotch. I didn't, didn't know that it came from Scotland and there were differences between whiskeys and Irish whiskeys and scotch and uh, rye and all these different things. And uh, um, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the representative brought this, uh, all these different Johnny Walkers, you know, the blue labels, the reds, the blacks, the greens, the yellows, or the, the golds, uh, the platinums, like, and, but the one that they brought was a Johnny Walker 1805. And I remember him telling me it was like a $20,000 bottle and they did this, uh, you know, big presentation and everything there. And then, uh, afterwards he poured a, a little bit for all of the bartenders, which included me. So it was like a thousand dollar ounce of scotch. And I remember I just drank it and I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is just <laughs> the worst stuff ever. Like who would ever buy this? This is, this is so gross. Um, and then, and then I ended up going to, uh, Scotland, one of my friends uh, was studying out there, and so I went out to go see him. And we uh, sat down in a in a bar in in uh, Glasgow, and um, they had every scotch you can imagine. And they, I remember, they had this like chart, and the chart was split into like four cod. Uh, quadrants and they were like you know delicate to uh, sweet like smoky peaty like whatever and they had all the different scotches listed on this <laughs> <laughs> well I, you know what well, we just we just sat there and we drank scotch until we found the one that we liked and yeah. so they, we found one in the quadrant that we liked which at the time i think was uh, it was uh highland park and then we kind of went around it and kind of drank the other ones and they were like balmore and some of those ones and um you know I, i'm not sure if it was because we were on uh you know our umpteenth whiskey or because we actually developed a, a for it but uh, by the end of it I like like to think that I liked scotch yeah. and so we, we stayed in Scotland and uh, brought back some bottles and then you know I, I learned to like it it's definitely an acquired taste and yeah. Uh, now yeah so since then um, I've started to develop scotch and uh, 
built a scotch bar in the basement, which I'm working on right now. And uh, yeah, definitely in, uh, in enjoy sort of uh, the differences between the types of scotches. And I know um, you and I have a little bit difference in scotch taste. Yeah. You, you like the delicate yes, ones <laughs> with the sh- sherry casks <laughs> and as much as candy as they can taste for you. And I like the smoky and it's the kinda, stuff. It's kind of interesting because I like the smooth scotches, yeah. but you tend to be more smooth. <laughs> you like the rough scotches and I tend to be more rough. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's ties into one thing is our friendship and that's that kind of really at the heart of the law firm and and has it been something that's been so enjoyable for me in terms of what we're doing this together with someone that I care so much about and have such a great friendship with and you and I have been able to do so many things together and that's been so such an amazing experience but let's talk a bit about that and yeah, I mean, one thing that you and I do is we travel a lot together, mm-hmm. which is so much fun. I think our first uh, partner retreat that you and I went on, we went to Santa Monica, didn't yeah, we? We did. Yeah. And uh, I remember we sat down at Santa the, Monica Boulevard. Yeah, we went to this called called Meat. Was yeah, it the place? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this place called Meat. <laughs> and guess what we ate there? <laughs> we had like wagyu beef yeah. and like and like twenty ounce buttery steak. like Rombauer Chardonnay yeah. or something. Yeah. It was just the most ridiculous combination. And yeah. then our poor wives had to put up with us when we got back because we. We were so full and we oh, had this yeah. fancy dinner and yeah. we, we couldn't like, eat anything food and we couldn't we couldn't eat any of it and they yeah. were so mad uh, understandably so but uh, <laughs> yeah i know we just had some great adventures together and it's it's so fun doing uh, doing this with somebody that, that you that you really love and that so that on that trip another one of my favorite memories was we went to the uh, golf course where uh, harrison ford oh, crashed his plane yeah, and geez. you you uh you bombed some people there <laughs> so why don't we talk about that story <laughs> you thought they're all the embarrassing stories were on my side of the table <laughs> We only played 13 <laughs> holes that day, and there's a good reason for that. <laughs> so, yeah, we showed up, and we couldn't get onto any golf courses, and, and Luke's subpar at golf at best. And that doesn't mean that he golfs subpar. It means that he's just terrible at it. Uh, no, let's go <laughs> golf subpar. No, yeah. you definitely don't. And then, so it was, it was weird because... Uh, so it, I'm the terrible one, but you're the one that hit someone. <laughs> well, there's, there's a reason for this. Okay. Um, so we borrowed... Uh, we had to rent these clubs, uh, yeah. and there was, they were so busy that they were doing five to a tee off instead of four which i remember being quite weird um and then we it took forever to go off the round like it must have taken us four hours to get the whole 13 yeah. and by the time we were pretty much you know tired of golfing anyways at that point uh, it was a whole lot of standing and not a lot of golfing and so we were you're you're perpetually waiting for the group in front of you to clear and and whatever and so um we were golfing with a, an orthopedic surgeon you remember yeah, uh from and, usc he worked at usc yeah, yeah and um yeah, he remember he he told me that the group in front of us was uh, at 350 yards, yeah. and I was like, "There's no way I can hit it 350 yards." It was like we were using these rented clubs, and the 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 the, the shafts on them were just regular stiffness, so they like they couldn't keep up with. So there's no way they could hit the ball 300. It was, it was just not possible scientifically for the ball to go that far and so uh you know gear up and hit a drive and pretty pretty excited about it. it's down the middle and then all of a sudden hits a guy and he drops yeah and we're like no way i hit that 350 <laughs> and then the, the 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 surgeon's like oh it's only 250 and we're like what and uh anyways we felt terrible uh you know ran up gave them uh, all of the, we, we had bought a bunch of golf balls and stuff to golf for the day yeah. and we had a bunch left and we kind of gave them back and blamed everything on the surgeon because it was definitely his fault and then uh yeah it made our way out and they, everyone was okay nobody got yeah. nobody nobody was seriously injured and uh you know it, it ended up being okay but yeah that was uh that was an interesting story i think it was actually the hole that uh uh 
the guy had crashed on. Yeah, Harrison it? Ford. Yeah, I think it was actually. Crashed, I think it yeah, was I think it was on the hole. Yeah, I think something. it was on the yeah, hole. Yeah. So it was just just a terrible hole. Don't play <laughs> hole twelve or thirteen <laughs> at this course. Yeah. So there, there's a potentially a different reason you hit them, and and there's a theme here is like Brian's eyesight is not always the best, and and he does have glasses, but he doesn't like wearing them. So Brian and I went golfing one time here in Chilliwack, and uh, and uh, I didn't get anyone else. No, no, no. This no. is a different story. So uh, we get up to the green, and and there's this. There's this, uh, Brian says, says okay. to me, he's like, what's that squirrel doing? And I'm like, what squirrel? And I'm looking around, I don't see any squirrels. And he's like, what's that squirrel doing? And I'm like, well, there was something there, but it wasn't a squirrel. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, what's that? I said, Brian, that's a duck. And it was like eight feet away from him. <laughs> It was just the way the light was hitting it, Luke, and the way it was moving. You know, it the duck was eating grass. And he's like, what's that squirrel doing? It could have been a duck. It could have been a duck. It could have been a squirrel. The jury's still out. So sure. going back to that prior story, maybe it was just your vision was the real no, issue. No, it was definitely the surgeon that okay. uh, gave us the wrong distance to the yardage. Um, but speaking of golf, your golf game's gotten a lot better since we started hanging out, which has been uh, pretty good. I think when we started, if you got anywhere near 120 on a round, that was, that was a good round. And now, it's true. Now you started to break. 90 and we're yeah, getting around yeah. the courses pretty pretty well and when we go on trips we actually get to go play some nice courses and yeah we played pj west on, we our, on our last trip that uh, was like a death march uh, 43 degrees uh determination that was sheer will <laughs> and determination. determination yeah 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 i mean i've mentored you in law and you've mentored me in golf and and we in life i've mentored you in life you've mentored me in, in my profession if you mentored me in life it's about how, how to smoke cigars and feel horrible in the morning so welcome to that influence yeah <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, some of the other trips we've done, um, we sure have had a lot of great times together. And uh, I think one of the things that I cherish so much is um, just to do this with someone I care so much about and I share so much with in terms of uh, what I value and what I think is important in life. And, and one of the things that I, I believe in as being so important to a good life is friendship. Um, and... I think that's something that you and I both really care a lot about and maybe we should talk a bit about friendship and what it means and, and why it's important to you. Yeah. Um, well, we talk about friendship in the, in the concept of, you know, being there for each other when it's inconvenient as opposed to being there for each other when it's convenient. And I think, you know, uh, being somebody's friend can be, can be quite easy when things are good. You know, when you're playing golf or smoking cigars or, you know, traveling the world, I mean, it's easy to be somebody's friend in those situations, but it's, it's more the troubling times when, when things slow down or, you know, when, when your back's against the wall in a trial or, you know, you need somebody's, somebody's help. Um, and knowing that you can count on that person to be there for you. And I think one thing that, that is certainly, uh, that I appreciate a lot about our friendship, uh, is that you're always there for me whenever I need you. Um, um, and not just for the good times, but for the bad times. And uh, fortunately, I don't have a lot of bad times, so hopefully, it's not too difficult being my friend. But yeah, uh, yeah no, definitely, that's that's something that I that I relish in. What about you? Yeah, for me, uh, I, I think uh, I've talked to you about this. There's a there's a TED Talks, and it's about this study that they've done at Harvard, and it's uh, a study that started in 1945. And and I think the professor running it now is the fourth professor in this continuous study. I think it's one of the, the longest running study in world history. Um, and it studied uh, 10,000 men at that point, but uh, they follow them every single year and ask them a long questionnaire and and, and then determine health outcomes. And, and the conclusion of the study, um, and this is one of the most TED Talks, watched TED Talks ever, is that the biggest indicator of longevity is actually uh, relationships and 
positive relationships. And the example they give in the TED Talks is you take two guys that are mid-50s, both kind of overweight, out of shape, uh, bad health indicators, you know, headed for a heart attack. Uh, the guy with lots of a good social network and lots of friends uh, lives to normal life expectancy. The guy uh, with no friends um, dies. And and so that's that's kind of the... That really struck me, and it really resonates with me. Friendship and relationship, and 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 doing life together with people that you share values with and you care about, it, I think, is really at the heart of a good life and what it means to uh, have a meaningful life. And and it's the people that you you share that with. To me, is so so important. Yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, those factors. I mean, but one of the other factors is stress, right? And so Absolutely. stress stress is one of the leading factors of you know poor health and and death, and and one of the indicators. Uh, uh, certainly, and, and our job is quite stressful, right? And Absolutely. so, you know, having somebody that you can share it with to bring some levity and, and you know, uh, share those stressful times to make them a bit less stressful, but, um, you know, also help you recharge and, and um, gain some perspective on some things is, is really important as well. And so I think about uh, that and, and what allows us to do our job so well is, uh, you know, not just uh, being on the field, but being off the field and, and the difference between those two things and, and recharging so we can get back on the field and, and uh, you know, go to war again. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, those things are all very important to me. You're watching The Luke Bryan Show.